Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This Day in Crime is released every day, Monday through Saturday. For ad-free listening and exclusive bonus content, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus at tenderfootplus.com or on Apple Podcasts. Let's start the show. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Todd McComas, and it's Friday. I hope your week's gone well and that you have all kinds of cool plans for the weekend. Because I don't have cool plans for the weekend. Because I didn't winterize my outdoor bar this winter, so all the beer and non-alcoholic mixers froze and exploded at some point. And because we didn't batten down the hatches and haven't stepped foot inside it since Thanksgiving, our outdoor bar became a very popular night spot for raccoons. And let's just say they don't come back the next morning to clean up their mess. So I will be spring cleaning the outdoor bar all weekend so it's more suitable for humans to enjoy. And I can't wait. But enough about my problems, let's talk about other people's problems. Crime problems. Here's my lead in. A shootout between cops and an acorn? A very stabby public pier? A gritty family scuffle? A very expensive apology? There's a snake in my pants and a baby in one hand, a gun in the other. All coming up on this Day in Crime. If you've been on social media at all this week, you probably saw that Fort Walton Beach, Florida had an officer-involved shooting between an Okaloosa County Sheriff's deputy and an acorn. Yeah, like the cone-shaped thing that falls from a tree. Here's what happened. Deputy Jesse Hernandez and his sergeant responded to a report of a stolen vehicle at a residence near Fort Walton Beach. A woman had reported that her boyfriend was refusing to return her vehicle and had been calling and texting her threats. These threats included pictures of what appeared to be a firearm suppressor pointed at the dash of the victim's vehicle. The boyfriend was detained, searched, handcuffed, and then placed in the rear of Hernandez's patrol car. And while the deputy was walking around the patrol car, an acorn fell from a tree and hit said patrol car. And according to Deputy Hernandez, that sounded like a gunshot, so he believed he was being fired upon, presumably by the suspect who had been searched for weapons and was now sitting in the backseat of the patrol car in handcuffs. He also claimed that he felt something hit his vest, so he also believed that he had been hit by presumed gunfire. So, Deputy Hernandez returned fire and emptied his duty weapon into the rear of his own patrol car while screaming out loud that he had been hit. Now the sergeant, who didn't know what the hell was happening except that her call partner was screaming shots fired and that he had been hit and was firing his weapon at his own car, also started firing her weapon at the perceived threat. 
Thankfully for the suspect slash victim's boyfriend, neither of these officers appears to be that good of a shot as he was not hit in this hell of gunfire. The internal investigation determined that Hernandez's use of force was not objectively reasonable. I think that's objectively understated. The sergeant was exonerated because it was decided that she had every reason to believe that Hernandez was under fire. I can't disagree with that one. And it should be noted that Deputy Hernandez hadn't quite finished his first year on the job yet when this happened. And instead of just waiting around to be fired, he decided to resign from his position at the sheriff's office. And I think that was a good move for everyone involved because I'm just not sure the streets are safe in Okaloosa County with Hernandez working them. There's just too many trees. Let's go to Greenwich Village in New York where people peeing in the street has suddenly become a serious problem. Which I know sounds a little odd because New York City is well known for people openly peeing and defecating in the street. That's always been part of its charm. But now it would appear that one bad apple in the Big Apple has ruined the bunch. A 27-year-old man was standing outside a condominium building around 4.10 p.m. when he spotted a man peeing in the street. The man I'll now refer to as the victim yelled at the peer to knock it off. The peer didn't take his suggestion very well and a fight ensued. And at some point during the fight, the peer plunged an unknown sharp object into the right side of the victim's stomach. Then the peer ran away. The victim was treated at Bellevue Hospital and the police put out a bolo for a man fitting the peer's description. No arrests have been made to date. But check this out. This attack comes just weeks after another unknown peer attacked the caretaker of a nearby church with a box cutter after the employee of God asked him to stop peeing on his car. So it sounds like Greenwich Village has to prioritize this public peer problem. And I'm using the singular form of public peer because my inner detective tells me both attacks were committed by the same peer. So if you live in Greenwich Village and you see a dude peeing on the street, don't confront him. Just take a quick pic and call the police. It's just pee. It's not worth dying over. Man, I just wish there was a way to keep our show free for listeners and offer them some really good deals on some really cool stuff. Oh shit, there is. We'll be right back. Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's Journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. 
Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go back to Florida, Marion County, Florida, where a fully grown 28-year-old woman was arrested for smacking her mom in the face with grits. Yes, I said grits the southern side dish staple that looks like oatmeal and rice had a baby. And what caused things to escalate to assault with a savory weapon? An argument over pizza. Here's what happened. Jackie Ella Mobley said she was sleeping on the street but asked her mother to pick her up so she could have a warm place to sleep that night. And her mother did. The next morning, Mobley told her mother that she was going to make a pizza in the oven, to which her mother said, and I'm only slightly paraphrasing, it's breakfast time, and I'm making grits. You can have some of these grits or make another breakfast food, but you're not making pizza. Mobley began to argue with her mother about how nice she was to allow her mother to take her off the street and bring her into her own home so she wouldn't freeze to death, so the least she could do is let her make pizza for breakfast. And when her mom disagreed, Mobley grabbed a handful of those grits and hit her mom right in the face with them. And when the police arrived, Mobley tried to say that her mom staged the crime scene by rubbing the grits on her own face. But upon closer examination, there was a perfect handprint in the grits that were on her mom's face. So crime scene investigators quickly took a cast of the handprint and flew it to the FBI lab in Quantico where forensic experts were able to conclusively match the handprint to Mobley. I made that last part up. I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say the officers just saw there was a handprint and decided Mobley was full of shit. And then locked her up. Let's switch things up with some good news. A man who was freed after serving nearly 37 years for a murder he did not commit is getting paid. Robert Dubois was arrested at the age of 18 for the 1983 murder of 19-year-old Barbara Grahams in Tampa, Florida. He was then convicted of her murder and sentenced to death. Thankfully, in 1988, his sentence was reduced to life in prison. His conviction was based in large part on the testimony of Dr. Richard Severin, a dentist and forensic odontologist. 
Dr. Severin testified that a bite mark on the victim's body conclusively matched an impression taken from Dubois' mouth. Well, bite mark analysis is now considered junk science, and when Dr. Severin was called to testify in the civil case filed by Dubois against the city and investigators, he said, and I quote, I no longer believe that bite marks can be matched to a specific individual. Yeah, no one does. He went on to say that he would not be able to testify today with a reasonable degree of certainty that the marks found on the victim were made by Mr. Dubois. Doesn't that piss you off? As far as the investigation into Barbara Graham's rape and murder, DNA from her autopsy was finally tested. And the results absolutely excluded Dubois as her killer. Turns out there were two different male profiles developed from these samples that matched two men, Amos Robinson and Abram Scott. Both men are already serving life sentences in connection with a separate murder in 1983, which occurred two months after they were accused of killing Barbara Grams. As for Dubois, he's obviously very grateful for the position he now finds himself in, and he has two different groups to thank for that. The Innocence Project for his freedom, and the attorneys in his civil case for the $14 million check he's about to cash. Now we're bouncing back to New York City, where a man was sentenced to one-year probation for attempting to smuggle Burmese pythons in his pants. And one-year probation is a godsend considering he was facing a maximum sentence of 20 years. Turns out that's the federal max for smuggling prohibited reptiles into the U.S. from Canada, which is why he did, in his pants. And here's a little trivia to stick in your pocket for later. Burmese pythons are among the world's largest snakes. And they're native to Asia, where they're considered a vulnerable species, not yet endangered, but close. They would have probably made the endangered species list if not for a large population of them that now exists in Florida, where thanks to Hurricane Andrew in 1992, a shit ton of Burmese pythons being kept at home aquariums were blown to freedom and scattered throughout the Everglades. And once there, they had a bunch of snake sex and made a shit ton more of themselves. These Florida-born Burmese pythons typically range from six to nine feet long. So I'll say this about the reptile smuggler in this story, and I'd say it about anyone in a similar position to his. If you have reason to feel confident that you can stick a Burmese python down your pants and no one's gonna be able to notice, good for you, dude. I'd get caught trying to smuggle in a Burmese earthworm in my pants. Let's wrap this episode up with a story out of Newton County, Georgia, where a young mother has been convicted of fatally shooting a woman while holding her one-year-old child. The shooter was holding the baby. Delana Bailey, the shooter, held the gun in one hand and the baby in the other. I'm not applauding it, but I am shamefully impressed by it. We've all been amazed by watching baby-holding moms multitask, but this takes it to a whole other level. This incident took place in 2020 when the father of Delena's one-year-old child showed up at her apartment to drop off some money for their child. Evidently, he was driven there by the new woman in his life, Lapicha Nash. Now raise your hand if you think bringing her was a bad idea. Well, it seems Delena agreed with you because she got pretty upset. In fact, she tucked a gun in her waistband picked up their baby and started screaming at him. 
And at some point, he tried to get the gun from Bailey, but when that didn't work, she said she was going to shoot him, so he bolted toward LaPeach's car. Delena ran after him with their baby in one hand and the gun in the other and fired three shots into the driver's side window. LaPeach, who was behind the wheel, was shot in the head and later died from her injury. That's some serious-ass baby mama murder drama, which is my new favorite subcategory of true crime and my screen name on Reddit. That's going to be it for me, so make sure you tune in tomorrow to go back in crime with Jessica Knoll. I'll see you on Monday. This Day in Crime is a production of Timberfoot TV in partnership with Odyssey. Produced in association with Burning Mountain Productions. Executive producers are Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay. Jessica Nola and myself are co-executive producers. Today's episode is hosted and written by me, Todd McComas. You've been listening all week to my other co-hosts and writers, Laura Benson and Eric Quintana. Sean Nerney is our lead producer and editor. John Street and Tracy Kaplan are the supervising producers, along with additional production by Dennis Cooper, Dayton Cole, Cena Pritchard, and Jordan Foxworthy. Original music by Makeup and Vanity Set. The cover art is by Byron McCoy and Isabella Maxey. Special thanks to the team at UTA, Beck Media and Marketing, and the Nord Group. Sources for today's episode can be found in the show notes, and you can follow us on social media at This Day in Crime. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. And don't forget to check out Saturday's Back in Crime episode written and hosted by Jessica Knoll. I'll see you on Monday.